on? Welcome to the Matt Bernier Show, part of the In the Money Media Network. My name is Matt Bernier. You can follow me on Twitter at Bernier underscore Matt. This is episode 18 of the revamp Matt Bernier Show for Monday, June the 8th. However you listen to this show, thank you for doing so. A number of ways to find this podcast, both visuals and just audio only. Uh, you can find the audio only version on InTheMoneyPodcast.com, where you can also find all the other content that In The Money Media has that uh, comes out weekly or however often certain programs are produced. You've got this show. You've got the In The Money Players podcast. You've got uh, Talk Racing to Me with Naomi Tucker. You've got the Redboard Rewind with Spencer Luganbuehl. You've got JK Plus One. Uh, you also have other sort of more specific pods and pieces, including previews of the Stronic Five, which you can again find this upcoming week. The Stronic Five, a great wager that I would encourage anyone. If you're if you're a multi-race player, I would definitely consider getting involved. Low takeout, $1 base bet. The family of Stronic tracks, definitely something you want to keep an eye on. Woodbine is back up and running. That's always a good meet and a good track to, you know, maybe it's, it's, maybe it's, a little bit out of your comfort zone, but sometimes stepping out of your comfort zone is a good thing. I've always loved the product up there. I would encourage you to take a look at that as well. So number of good things going on over on InTheMoneyPodcast.com. You can find all the podcasts as well in sort of your standard situations, your standard setups, Apple Podcasts, however you get your podcasts on Android device. Um, and then for this program as well, you can find this on YouTube. All you need to do is go over in that search bar, type in Matt Bernier Show. It'll pop up as well as all the other episodes. Uh, make sure you subscribe to the In The Money channel. Make sure you subscribe to my channel, Matt Bernier. Make sure the bell icon is lit up for both of those. That way you get a notification whenever anything new is uploaded to the channel. Uh, most of the time, it's Mondays and Tuesdays for this show. Uh, on Fridays, we have Horse Players Happy Hour. That'll be off this week, but we're scheduled to come back the following week. Um, some other little housekeeping pieces. This show, uh, for the next two weeks, I believe. Let me just double-check that on the fly here. Yes, the next two weeks, this will actually be recorded on Tuesday, not on Monday, as it typically is, because uh, I have some prior engagements. So uh, next Monday and next the following Monday, uh, no pod. They'll be the following Tuesday. So just FYI, Tuesday's the next two weeks, not Mondays. Um, and again, if you want to follow on Twitter, at Bernie or underscore Matt, questions, comments, concerns beneath the video player on YouTube as well. Okay, a lot to get to here this week. I'm going to break this into a couple of segments. We'll start off with the East Coast, sort of highlighting what I consider to be the biggest performances and the biggest horses. Then we'll transition to the West Coast. Then we'll dive into pick history, the $100 challenge, as well as Q&A and wrap things up. But a lot to get to in a short amount of time. Let's start on the East Coast. We'll start at Belmont Park. It was a wet one on Saturday afternoon, but there were some big performances. I'm not going into all of the graded stakes races, and I'm not going over all of the horses. If you have specific questions, let me know beneath the video player on YouTube, or if you just want to bounce ideas off of one another, I've, I've said it before, I like that it's turned into a bit of a forum for people to kind of get ideas out there and questions and things like that. So anything I don't touch on here, if you have a question or there's another horse that perhaps you're intrigued to discuss or, or hear opinions and thoughts of, let me know beneath the video player or on Twitter uh, at Bernie or underscore Matt. Let's start with the Carter. It's the big one, the grade one. It was a win in your in for the Breeders' Cup sprint. Um, Vacoma wins very, very impressively. 110 buyer speed figure, 127 time form US rating. So those numbers more or less check out. Uh, buried a really good field. Just buried a field. Uh, never looked like a loser at any point in that spot. 
I would encourage folks, if you don't typically look at things this way, we've spoken about it in the past, the idea that wet tracks can make final margins of victory a little bit, um, I don't want to say abnormal, but make them, you know, larger than they typically would be. You always need to be leery of that. In this instance, I don't believe that to be the case. I just think Vacoma, he's already proven himself to be a good racehorse. Uh, PTF and I spoke about it on Horse Players Happy Hour last week that while he had won the bluegrass going nine furlongs, he always felt like he was cut out to be a horse that would excel going one turn. Uh, I think the connections are probably going to continue on this sort of path. We'll find out if he shows up in the Met Mile for 4th of July, but this was an awesome performance. I don't think the wet track is the reason he won the way that he did. But if you are a contrarian and you're looking for a reason to go against him at a short price next time out, maybe it's something worth considering if you believe that this could have potentially moved him up uh, lengths in a spot like this because of the wet track as opposed to what he may typically be accustomed to uh, producing on a fast main track. I don't believe that to be the case. I think he just ran really well, and I think this is a four-year-old that's coming into his own. Um, but I would love to hear sort of back and forth about maybe the performance wasn't as good as it looked, or it was every bit as good as the numbers would suggest and the performance visually would. I thought he looked awesome. The numbers come back strong. I mean, he's he's never the sexiest mover you've ever seen. He's got that paddle out there for his left front. You know, I mean, it is what it is. So we've we've seen many good horses in the past overcome sort of confirmation things. But I mean, look, he uh, he ran very very fast in the Carter. I have no complaints whatsoever about it. And I think you have to look at him as if he does show up in the Met Mile as one of the horses on the short list as far as major players in that spot are concerned. Let's move to the Westchester, another race that was run at Belmont on Saturday. Uh, Code of Honor makes his return to the race as a 101 buyer and a 122 time form U.S. rating. Visually, I thought it was an exceptional effort. Uh, John Velasquez rode him with extreme confidence, kept him parked out in the clear 5-6 path, Yes, the pace was on the faster side, but at no point did Johnny really need to push on him until they hit the top of the lane. Once he did that, I, it wasn't, I don't think he got to the bottom of him. I think it was a very measured half-length victory, and I know he did need to ask him a little bit, but I thought really just visually it checked all the boxes. And I have a very, very sneaking suspicion that he was far from the best version of himself on Saturday. I, I, I think this was nothing more than a means to an end. Get him back off the layoff, get some racing into him, some fitness, and you'll see a better, tighter version of this horse two and three starts from now. If that's the case, everybody else could be in a little bit of trouble because he looked really, really spectacular. I thought it was a big, big performance. Um, and also, you need to give credit to the runner-up, Endorsed. Endorsed, I thought it was an interesting move from Joel Rosario down on the inside. You take a look at the top three horses. The winner, Code of Honor, came from well off of it. Forewarned, who ran third at a million to one, he came from well off of it. Endorsed made a bold mid-move down the backside, inside. His second quarter of the race. They ran it in 2281, lengths faster than anyone else. He moved into arguably the swiftest part of the race, took over control, rounding the far turn. And if it's not for Code of Honor, we're probably looking at this race saying this is endorsed coming out party. This is the best race he's ever run. I think it was the best race he had ever run. Problem is he just happened to run into arguably the best horse on the East Coast for older runners. So um, I think the top two both ran really, really well. I would expect Code of Honor to take another step forward here. I'll be curious what endorsed's next move is. You know, do you wait for two turns again? Do you wait for a race like the Whitney at Saratoga? Do you wait for, you know, one of these other positions or one of these other spots to show up in? 
I just thought all around the top two horses, they performed big, big, big ways uh, on Saturday afternoon. I thought they both looked very, very strong. And I expect bigger and better things, especially from the winter coat of honor going forward. The Intercontinental, seven-eighths on turf, yielding turf, newspaper of record comes back to the races, and she runs a hole in the wind. 103 buyer speed figure, 115 raw time form U.S. rating. It's important to note at the 115 raw rating, typically that's the way that I will use the raw number as opposed to the pace adjusted one. I want to be the one to decide if it made a difference. In this case, I don't know how you couldn't say it, it didn't make a difference. I mean, she ran a hole in the wind. The pace adjusted figures come back 127. So they certainly upgraded her in a big, big way. All of the fractions were color coded red throughout. Just all around, it was a spectacular performance. It's a very straightforward thing, though, as I'm looking over into the, looking out the window. Very straightforward piece that needs to be at least acknowledged. I tweeted it after the race. I don't know if it means anything. Do with it what you will. I draw my own conclusions on this. She is unbeaten on turf that is listed as yielding. She is winless on anything firmer. Many people have also pointed out this potential distance limitations that maybe she only has, you know, maybe she's only good up to a mile and then beyond that she starts to feel it. Uh, Eric Gio responded to that at one point, so perhaps that has to do with bad feet. Uh, many other folks have pointed out that her sire, Lope de Vega, was a horse who excelled on soft turf. So it's in the, the pedigree anyway to suggest that maybe this is what she really wants all along. Um, if, if she runs anything close to this and she can get out to a mile, I mean, she's going to be arguably the best filly and mare going a mile, and you could maybe even stretch that to the just a more broad and sort of general term, the best miler in the United States if she can continue on like this. I want to see if she can do this on firm going against better horses. I'm not suggesting the field that she beat was a, a weak one, but her best, if you thought there was any scenario where she could come back and get close to that juvenile form, she was just going to probably be better than that field. Uh, now we'll see. It sounds like they're eyeing the Justa game at a mile at Belmont. She shows up there. There's a chance that she runs into Uni for Chad Brown as well. We'll see. Things could be considerably different with firmer going against better horses. But if she can run like this still, uh, boy, the, the, the sky's the limit again. And maybe this is the newspaper of record we all expected to see last year as a three-year-old. Maybe it just took a little bit of time, and now we're going to see her really, you know, live up to expectations as a four-year-old. Time will tell. It's too early. But one other piece to point out just how well she ran. Her final eighth of a mile was the second fastest in the field. The only horse that ran a faster final eighth of a mile, according to DRF Formulator, was Viadera, and she came from seventh. So newspaper record ran fast, 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 top to bottom, start to finish. There's no two ways around it. And the only piece I think that you can at least throw in is sort of a questionable unknown is, was this simply a product of the yielding turf or is she back? And I know a lot of people, when you saw Arad Ortiz after the race, he was pumping his fist. He was, you know, I mean, this is clearly a horse that the, the expectations were were tremendous and she just didn't live up to it last year for whatever reason clearly i think all the connections were very very pleased and i think they probably had a little bit of pressure too feeling that you know what let's see if the girl still got it we'll see what happens here going forward again is this a product of the yielding turf is she going to be able to reproduce an effort like this on firm turf against better horses we'll find out but a visually sparkling effort and a return to the races in the intercontinental for newspaper of record and the last horse on the east coast 
will be at Churchill Downs in the Aristides, non-graded stakes race. I, I'm going to say the most talented horse we saw run on Saturday. Raw talent was volatile uh, for Steve Asmussen. A 112 buyer speed figure, a 130 raw time form US rating. All of the fractions were color-coded blue, so pace adjusted. They knocked it down to a 124. Um, the, the talent is just exceptional. It's, it's next level kind of talent. It's, it's Matoli type talent. It's, um, you know, I, you name men, and I'm going to just keep it to sort of the one turn horses for now, because I don't know if or when there's a chance that they stretch them out, but the, the talent is next level breeders cup caliber, no two ways around it. Um, I think the, the swapping of the leads down the lane, which I immediately caught, you know, caught my eye saying, this is interesting for him to still draw off the way that he did. I think it's probably a combination of inexperience and what I would call ouchiness. And this is just pure speculation, but you can't tell me that there's a reason or there's not a reason that the horse is four years old and this was his fifth start. There, 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 there's obviously been some reason, some setbacks. Um, so is it a combination of him doing that sort of thing because of the ouchiness? Uh, I think it's part of it, but also to be fair, I mean, he hasn't run a lot. He's still probably learning the game a little bit. So I'm not going to hold that against him right now. And you know what? I, a horse like Gunrunner made me, at a certain point, made me rethink the idea of, I don't want to say rethink, but there are exceptions to the rule. And I, I've i started to, as if the talent and the ability is just that obvious, you know, it'll always be in the back of my mind, you know, if you ever get into some sort of a slugfest with another runner. But if the talent is just so exceptional and so next level, maybe you can overcome that sort of stuff. I would say at lower levels, you can't afford to do that sort of thing. But um, you know, it's, it's, it's like some of these other athletes you see that have less than stellar mechanics, but they're just so gifted that they're able to overcome that sort of thing. And it doesn't end up biting them in the rear end where maybe someone or, or something that doesn't quite have the same natural ability. If they started doing that sort of stuff, it would really go bad really quick. Uh, Volatile just has it. He's got the, he's got the brilliance, the brilliance factor. Maybe that's the best way to put it. There are certain horses that have brilliance. There are certain horses that are just good. He has the brilliance factor that could make him a, a, a proper superstar. Let's knock on wood. Hope he stays sound, stays on the racetrack, um, and we can see him in time and hopefully you know, in November at Keeneland for the Breeders' Cup Sprint. Or if they choose to try to stretch him out, we'll find out he's by violence. But from a talent standpoint, to me, he was, it was the, the most eye-catching, and from a, just a raw ability standpoint, and I know we'll talk about the three-year-olds in California in a minute, but this was the most impressive performance of the weekend, in my opinion. Uh, the Aristides down at Churchill Downs with Volatile for Steve Asmussen, 112 buyer, 130 raw time form U.S. rating. That'll button up the East Coast. Again, if there's a horse or a race that you were curious about, you wanted to know more about, I know the Fort Marcy was run at Belmont. There were a number of races across the country. But specifically on the East Coast, if there's another horse out of any of these races or any of the other races all across the place um, that you have ideas about, 
questions about thoughts, whatever it may be, Beneath the Video Player on YouTube is your best bet. You can always fire away on Twitter, but Beneath the Video Player is probably your best bet as far as trying to get some eyeballs on that. Now, let's transition out to the West Coast where we had a number of interesting races. We'll talk about three graded and then a career debut for a big, big dollar horse. California, Santa Anita Derby, Santa Anita Oaks, Hollywood Gold Cup, Cezanne. Uh, Santa Anita Derby, Honor AP. Uh, you know, if you're looking for a horse to check all the boxes when it comes to what would it take or what will it take to win a race like the Kentucky Derby, to win a race like the Breeders' Cup Classic, to win any kind of race at sort of, you know, air quotes, classic distance, there's really not a heck of a lot else you could have asked for from a horse like Honor AP to sit the way that he did off the pace. He was wide. He made a nice visually eye-catching move rounding the far turn and went about his business down the lane. The stride is long. He galloped out like a freight train. I mean, there, there's really nothing else you there's nothing else you reasonably could ask for from this horse in this start, the way that he won against the field that he beat. Was it a, a star-studded field? No, but you know, I people are very quick to just all of a sudden say, oh, well, Authentic, you know. I mean, Authentic's not a bad horse. And people are making it out as though he just, he beat, you know, okay, well, he beat Authentic. He was the third of the three big ones for Baffert. Well, Authentic earned another 98 buyer in this race. It's not like he didn't run. Honor AP was just that much better. He earned a 102 buyer. Um, yeah, you know, I, I tweeted it. It's not easy to rally from off the pace at Santa Anita. And I had a number of people say he got a setup. I don't care. If you watch Santa Anita racing for more than a minute, going two turns on dirt, coming from any length off of the pace, if you're not on it or pushing it, I'm giving you extra credit immediately. And for a relatively inexperienced horse to do that off of another layoff, mind you, you know, I said it in the ABR live stream on Saturday. I want it authentic the day of the race. I want every bit of honor AP going forward. I was wrong about day of. I'm even more excited about going forward. Um, this is a horse. He just, he looks like, he looks like a classic type. Plain and simple. Um, for him to run as fast as he did at that racetrack in, in June. I don't. I wouldn't fault anyone that would be looking at the Kentucky Derby saying he's the horse to beat. I wouldn't be faulting anyone that said if you need, if you're taking a three year old against any of the elders for the Breeders' Cup Classic, why not this one? He had he just he checks all the boxes. The pedigree's there. The connections are there. Uh, the, the way that he moves is there. It just it, it, there's nothing to knock about him at this point. I want to make it clear: Authentic did not run poorly. Uh, I will. Also say, I, I expected a little bit more of a fight. Um, perhaps that's just more of a feather in the cap of Honor AP. You know, Authentic was wide throughout as well. He broke outward from the gate, which was a little bit interesting. And then he wasn't, he just wasn't the sharpest at the gate. He went up and, and Drayden had him in a fine position. I, if, you, if you liked him on Saturday, you can't complain about the trip not working because Honor AP, in my opinion, had a more difficult trip. And again, I get it. The pace, there was a little bit signed on, but they weren't burning out there, especially for Santa Anita standards. Um, and for Honor AP to just loop them and, and do it relatively easily, 
you know, you just got beat on the square by a better horse, but let's not all of a sudden make it out to be that Authentic didn't run well. I mean, a 98 buyer is a 98 buyer, and he was clearly second in that race. Yeah, Rushy came on a bit at the end, but the real running was done at that point, and Drayden wrapped up Authentic when he realized there was no way that we were getting to the winner. So I just think the top two were both spectacular. Uh, excuse me, Honor AP was spectacular. Uh, Authentic, I thought he ran fine. Uh, inoffensive, 98 buyer. He's still one of the faster three-year-olds of the crop. Um but boy, it, it it seems it would seem unlikely to envision a scenario where the tables are turned the other way going forward. It feels like Honor AP is only going to get better. Um, Authentic could still get better, obviously, but uh, it's going to be tough to beat that big boy. Uh, Santa Anita Oaks Swiss Skydiver is an interesting horse to me. Uh, one of the more interesting ones in training right now because I didn't learn anything about her on Saturday. I know that she's fast. I know that she can go to the lead. She beat a, a four-horse field. I took a shot against her with speech. I thought speech ran fine. Swiss Skydiver had the track in her favor as well. All that being said, I think I'm getting more and more impressed and more taken by her each and every race because she ran so hard and so well in that race at Oaklawn. She comes back here and... and Despite the fact that the the track was in her favor, you watched the the visual piece, the visual aspect. This is a filly that doesn't look like she took a deep breath at any point. Her ears are just flopping around the entire time. Mike Smith just hand riding for the most part. Um, you know, I, I didn't learn anything, but watching her. I feel like she continues to mature and develop in each and every start. If that makes sense. I didn't learn anything specifically from the effort on Saturday, but watching her, I feel like she continues, she's becoming a more complete project. You know, and, and again, this is sort of that time of year where you're going to start to see typically anyway, knowing that we didn't get the races at the beginning of May. Leading into the summer, you see that sort of natural progression for these three-year-olds. They continue to develop. I say you. I think you get another one in the fall, and then you get another one as they turn over to four. That's the way that I typically look at things. And I feel like you're seeing it with Swiss Skydiver, who, frankly, I did not like her as a two-year-old or early as a three-year-old. I thought she was just fine, but nothing spectacular. She continues to improve and impress. Her run at Gulfstream, her run at Oaklawn, her run here— I mean, she's winning at different tracks, and she's doing it visually really, really impressively. Again, I didn't learn anything from the way that she ran. She had the track in her favor. She was out there. Yes, she was setting a, a fair, fair enough pace, um, but I, she never looked like she took a deep breath. It looked like it was a workout. And for her to earn a 95 in that sort of fashion, um, I'm, I'm becoming more and more taken by her as we go on. Hollywood Gold Cup. I can almost say the same things about Swiss Skydiver, or about Improbable, that I said about Swiss Skydiver. The figure's fast, 105 buyer. Perfect stalking trip. We know that Improbable can sit a little bit. He was better out of the gate, so I'll give him that. Maybe he's starting to put it together. We talked about that with his run at Oaklawn, that you know maybe he's, he's finally kind of getting his, his head screwed on right. Um, I, he answered the distance question to a degree, but again, with being up there pressing the pace at Santa Anita, you're already arguably the best horse in the race. If it's not him, it's higher power who's already spotted you a length or two. 
the track could very easily carry a horse like that. Now, maybe he'll end up proving that a mile and a quarter is his game and his bread and butter. I want to know, can he get the mile and a quarter away from Santa Anita or a track where speed typically is your friend? Speed on dirt is always going to be your friend, but especially so at Santa Anita. And especially so going two turns. He looked fine. He looked very good out there. I mean, it was, it was an impressive enough effort. And again, the figure came back fast. Can he do that? Can he do it at Saratoga? Can he do it at Belmont? Can he do it at Keeneland? And Keeneland, let's let's call a spade a spade. As much as I love Saratoga, we all love Saratoga and Del Mar and all these other Can you do it at Keeneland? Because that's where the that's where the big prize is at the end of the year this year. Can can you work out that sort of trip and get a mile and a quarter at Keeneland Racecourse? Because if you can, you're right there for the Breeders' Cup Classic. If you can't, it's a different story. Curious what all of you think. Let me know beneath the video player on YouTube. Cezanne, the big money horse for Baffert, the first time starter. They paid three and a half million or whatever it was, 3.6 million. You know, for a first time starter, I actually thought this was more intriguing with more time as I've gone back and watched the tape a few times because he didn't just blast out of there, go right to the front, have everything his own way and, you know, win by 100. He broke out of there well enough. He was hustled along. He stalked two paths between horses, rounding the far turn. He moves up. There's four of them across. He's moving pretty smooth. And he floated out a little bit off the far turn, but I liked everything else. He was very professional. He goes off, and he, he won. I, that, was, that, to me, is the most impressive piece. Not just that he was professional, but that he was professional, and he had to show the ability to do some different things, to navigate through. I think not only was it a professional effort, but it was an educational one. Um, for a first time out of the box, going six and a half furlongs against a decent field. There were some nice first-time starters in there. Nice uh, Carlito is a horse that came from, or Charlito, I should say, came from rallied off the pace. Um, he looks like a decent one for Mandela. Mandela had a couple of nice ones in there with the first or two. Uh, you know, this was, this is, to me, a, a, a much more impressive 90 buyer speed figure than had this horse broke on top, went right to the front, opened up by two or three lengths, and one by six. This, to me, is much more impressive first out of the box because he had to show the ability to do some different things. So we'll find out what the next step is for a horse like this. Clearly, it took him some time to get to the races, and good news for him in a year like this. There's, it, It's a bit of an oddity. You can kind of develop as time goes on. So we'll see what we get from Cezanne, but very encouraging, I think, for his first career start. Uh, that's going to wrap up California. Again, questions, thoughts on other horses, races, whatever the case may be. Anything I said here, agree or disagree with my thoughts on Honor AP and Authentic, Swiss Skydiver, Improbable, Cezanne, uh, anything. Let me know beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt. Now let's roll in. Pick History, $100 Challenge, and get out of here with Q&A. Pick History, $100 challenge, Q&A. We'll get out of here in short order. Sample size for the Pick History is now at 171. If you're curious where the selections for the Pick History are now living, head on over to racingpicks.com. All totally free. You just got to put in your email address and you're good to go. Um, win percentage, 18% with a 196 ROI. Uh, win play show, 52% with a 192 ROI. From a win standpoint, you would have wagered $342. You would have had... $333.80 returned uh, from the whips, $1,024 wagered, $986.20 returned. The win percentage is down. The win play show percentage is down. 
both ROIs are now in the red. We are down four cents. Uh, well, it's a two percent negative on one and four percent on the other. It's just been a product of this cold run. There's no two ways around it. And unfortunately, the hundred dollar challenge has been a, a just a, an, un, an unmitigated disaster at this point. Um, the bank rolls down to $14.50. Uh, the churn is only at $108 right now of the $2,000 goal. Uh, I, it's a number that's stunning to me, but, you know, it is what it is. I mean, you just ride some of these out. And the crazy thing is, it's not like it's not like I'm not having some success in some other fashions. Uh, those of you that watch the Horse Players Happy Hour, I, you know, qualified for the Saturday contest through that. Ran top 10 in the BCBC one, ran 100th in the, the free NHC qual. So, I mean, it's not like I just, I'm, I'm totally off. It's just, damn, if I can get a horse to get a nose down on the wire first. So, hey, it is what it is. I'll keep plugging along. I mean, at this rate, there's only seven more plays for the $100 challenge before we go bust. So, hopefully, I can connect with something here in this upcoming week and we'll have something else to discuss going forward. One of the two pieces of the Q&A, though, are directly related to sort of the picks and the losing streak, or the cold streak anyway, that I've been on recently. Um, and Nancy Moran pointed something out, and I'm hopeful that m many people view it this way. Um, you know, you're always going to have those few people that are just trolls and they're going to throw some stuff, throw some shade no matter what. But I think Nancy Moran's point is what I'm hopeful many people look at as far as the hole is concerned. Uh, Nancy says... Commenting on your losing streak situation in general and not the $100 challenge, uh, wager a guess that the majority of your listeners agree with me when I say picks are picks, and if you want to spend all of your betting money exclusively on other people's opinions, you can find those anywhere and everywhere. I listen to your pod to hear about the process of handicapping and thoughts about upcoming races slash recent events in broader view, so thanks for keeping up all the good work. Sure, your luck will turn around very soon. Nancy, thank you for listening. I know you've been one of the, the diehards, and I'm hopeful most people view it that way. I mean, yes, picks are great and I want to be right more than anyone. Uh, but at the same time, I'm hopeful the pod and even some of the analysis, while they don't always win, if it's if you're playing an exact or a try or something along those lines, maybe it's something that you can use with a pod like this, going back and taking a look at some of the horses that we saw from this past weekend. Maybe there's a nugget that you can, you know, you can take from that and incorporate that into your handicapping and, and process and things like that. And and it's it just I'm hopeful many people view these sort of exercises in this, the same fashion that Nancy does. Uh, as opposed to just looking at it saying, oh, well, loser here, loser here. Well, I mean, there's more to it than that. You're going to have some bad luck from time to time. This happens to be a rather cold streak. But yeah, having said that, last week was was considerably better. We even had a couple of big numbers run. I thought Pacific Gale was going to uh, fire a big shot turning for home there, and that's uh, the Harmony Lodge at Belmont. She just loomed up and flattened out down the lane, but she still ran third at 24 to 1 or whatever it was. So starting to get some horses running at big prices, and that's all I can ask for. As long as they're running and we got a chance, that's all I can ask for. Um, the only other piece from Q&A this week that we'll dive into, Chris Quozo. I hope I'm pronouncing your last name correctly. Uh, thanks for your insights. Question, you've talked about possibly betting two horses to win in a race. What would be the minimum odds on the low end and the combined odds of the two where you would put as a cutoff to not consider this approach? Chris, thank you for listening. Thank you for the question and comment. There's, a, there's an exact way to do this if you wanted to go through and price out the whole race, right? So if you went through and let's just say it was a 10-horse field and you assigned everyone their odds, and let's say you wanted to 
let's say you had a horse that you would assign 20% likelihood of winning and another one that you would assign 20% likelihood of winning. That totals 40%. Now, to go through, it's the same way that you would end up making your value line on those horses that you've assigned 20%, but now you're just going to do it out of 100. So we're going to take 100, we're going to divide by 40, it's going to give you 2.5, you subtract 1 from that, that leaves you at 1.5, so to me, that's you're probably better off leaning more toward an eight to five proposition. So now the idea in my mind would be if you're going to play those two horses, you need to be guaranteed if one of them wins, knowing that your other wager is is going to be a loss no matter what, you need to be guaranteed that you're going to get eight to five odds or better. And again, that's not including any kind of an overlay that you may work into anything or, or whatever it is, but at the bare minimum, I would need to look at it and say the two horses that I have assigned four to one odds, four to one likelihood of winning, in order for me to play both of them, I need to ensure it's eight to five or greater because 20% for each of them, if I'm going to go through and say, okay, I think you're going to win 20% of the time, that ends up turning out to a four to one odds assignment for that horse. Two of them together at 20% is 40 100 divided by 40 is 2.5. Subtract the 1 to get that value line of 1.5. Again, you know, some people, if you're really ambitious, you could turn it down to call that, you know. Actually, I guess that would be 3 to 2, wouldn't it? Wouldn't be 8 to 5. Um, so, but the, the idea is the, the same. Let's say it's a 25%. 25 and 25. Two horses that you think, you know what, I'm going to make this one 3 to 1 and this one 3 to 1. I'll bet both of them. If you're going to do that, you're looking at 100 divided by 50, or excuse me, uh, yeah, sorry, 100 divided by 50, that's going to give you two, subtract one, it's even. I would need to be insured that I'm going to get even money on whatever I put in from these two horses, knowing that one of them is going to guarantee be a loss, because barring a dead heat, only one horse can win the race, if that makes sense. So if you have these two horses that one of them if you've assigned three to one odds on both of them and one of them is going off at three to five and the other is going off at five to two, mathematically, it's not going to line up. It's not going to work. At that point, I would say sit back, don't bother, or, well, I mean, for both of them, they would be below your three to one line. So I wouldn't touch either of them. Having said that, you can still have a scenario where if you end up with a horse that you say, Let's just use the three to ones as the example. You have two horses that you assign three to one odds. If one of them is five to two, but the other one is four to one, that still ends up jiving where if you bet both of them, you got to dutch it accordingly. You're going to have a little bit more weight on one than the other just to kind of level things out. You can still make it so that if one of them were to win, you're going to end up getting the number that you would need in order to play two. A lot of it has to deal with tote watching, a lot of it has to do with also recognizing that if you're too close, and this is the danger and the unfortunate thing with the current state of the paramutual system here in the United States, there's so much late money that comes in for some of these racetracks that you can be sitting there looking at it saying, oh, well, you know what? I, I made this horse nine to five on my line and the horse is five to two loading into the gate, feeling pretty good. Uh, let's just say I have another horse in, in a similar situation. And when the gates break, the horse is six to five. You know, to, to really, for the most part, for me, I'll play two horses to win if they are significant overlays, in my opinion. I'm not going to do it if they're, you know, teetering, because at that point, you know, in all likelihood, I'm not really going to be getting 
the, the necessary value in order to make a play like that. The other part of it is, too, you're in all likelihood, unless we're dealing with horses that are, let's say you made them nine to two and they're both going off at six to one, which is a nice problem to have. In all likelihood, if you're playing the shorter prices, you're going to have to be right a heck of a lot more often than you are, you know, in order to, to scratch out some sort of a profit. It's the same rationale that I've laid out with, you know, you can go on these, these long losing streaks or you can go on, you're going to lose 10 in a row or whatever the case may be. But the idea is you need to get the winners and have the winners make up for the losses and then some. If you're betting a number of horses at short prices, that's going to be a very difficult battle to win because you need to be right so frequently as opposed to some sharper handicapping, taking a look at it, saying, you know what, this horse is five to one, and I think he should be seven to two. Those are going to be the ones in the long run, depending on how accurate you are at judging the actual chances of a horse to win a race. Those are going to be the horses that in the long run are going to make you profitable. If you're just trying to grind out, win sort of cash and just kind of, you know, do the proper churn kind of exercise. I'm not including, I'm not talking about, uh, you know, exotics or anything like that but if you're just playing the win and you want to play a couple of horses at a time uh that would be my suggestion uh the way to go about it i hope that is clear if it's not let me know again and anyone else if you have thoughts on this topic uh, beneath the video player on youtube again that I, I prefer that to be the best sort of place just because twitter can become a cesspool and it can also just get kind of bogged down in a number of things you keep it beneath the video player on youtube it's the easiest way for all of us to kind of bounce ideas back and forth with one another so chris thank you for the question hopefully uh that answered it in a well enough fashion if it didn't let me know i can try to sort of extrapolate and expound a little bit more um in next week's pod again the next two weeks at the minimum the next two weeks uh, the pods will be recorded on Tuesday, not Monday. So don't be alarmed if it doesn't pop up in your feed Monday night uh, or early Tuesday morning. It'll be Tuesday night that things will be populated and going out there. So um, again, you can find this in a number of different places. However you listen to it, please rate, review, and subscribe. It means a great deal to myself as well as everyone in the money media. If you want to find all the other products that In The Money Media has, head on over to InTheMoneyPodcast.com or you can find all of the other pods right there in your feeds, whether it's Apple Podcasts, whether it's Android, wherever you're listening to your pods, you can find these. If you are someone that wants to watch on YouTube or you want to get involved with the comment section, head on over to YouTube, search bar, Matt Burner, your show. Make sure you subscribe. Make sure the bell icon's lit up and you're good to go. Give us a thumbs up, a thumbs down, whatever the case may be. If you agree, disagree, any of that kind of jazz. Um, questions, comments, concerns, beneath the video player on YouTube, you know how to do that. And obviously on Twitter at Burner underscore Matt. Until next Tuesday when I am back here with episode 19. This has been episode 18 of the Matt Bernier Show. Good luck however you play, whatever you play, and wherever you play.